love the gathering because it's a place that we've come to recalibrate our hearts and our minds towards you, God. Forgive us when we trust in ourselves. Forgive us when we trust in things. Thank you for the reminder that there's nothing worthy of our trust more than you. You've never given us a reason not to. Oh, forgive us. And oh, God, give us more grace. There's one line in that song where it says, I've learned to trust you. And I, I just got to say, I think we're learning to trust you. Uh, man, we're never going to get out of that school until the day we take our last breath. But God, I pray by your grace, by the power of your spirit, you constantly push us to trust you more. In Jesus' name we pray and all the other people said. Amen. Well, if you have your Bibles, Matthew 6. I want to start with this question that's going to be on the screen. It's a deep question. Why do we do what we do? You're like, well, how long do you have, right? That's the question we wrestled with last week as Jesus spoke into our motives as Christians. We do what we do either for the applause of our fellow man or we do what we do for the pleasure of our heavenly father. We, we do what we do to be admired by our peers or we do what we do for the adoration of our Lord. And why we do what we do reveals not only the motives of our heart, but maybe more importantly, it reveals where our confidence truly lies. This is the heart of the heart issue that Jesus is after here in his sermon on the mount. What we do ultimately reveals who we trust. That's the connection Jesus is going to make today. What we do determines if our confidence lies within ourselves or in the God who holds the world in his hands. When life goes sideways, do you turn to yourself to fix it or do you turn to God? Perhaps the easiest way for us to answer that question is to answer this question. When your life blows up, which question do you find yourself asking? God, what am I going to do? Or, God, what are you going to do? Now, today, Jesus is going to continue to press into our trust issues but instead of going after our motives like he did last week, today's passage, he's going to go after our money and our materialistic possessions, or maybe lack of money and materialistic possessions. So buckle up, Matthew chapter 6. I want to start at the end. You ever watch a movie where they give you like the last scene of the movie, and then the rest of the movie is like rewind and, and leading up to that moment? That's what I want to do here. Because at the end of chapter 6, this is what Jesus says in verse 34. So, so that one little word is connecting what Jesus has just said to his audience that we're going to get to in just a moment to what he is about to say to them. So, Jesus continues, don't worry about tomorrow. 
for tomorrow will bring its own worries, to which we say, amen. Wor- Listen, come on, worrying is our spiritual gift, is it not? Don't you wish there was a verse in the Bible that says, thou shalt worry, because we got that one down. Yes, Lord. It's like a spiritual gift to us. In fact, we're so good at worrying that we can multitask. We can worry about multiple things at the same time. In fact, we're so good at it, we can worry about things that hasn't even happened yet. We make these things up in our mind, and we start worrying about those hypothetical situations. Hello, anybody? (laughs) Jesus says, don't worry about tomorrow. And then he says, because... Today's trouble is enough for today. And we feel that, don't we? Because every day, it feels like we are drowning in our troubles. Some of us in this room perhaps is fighting to keep our heads above water financially. You're paying your bills, you're paying your debts, and you're... You're just hoping to have enough money left over for life and just hoping nothing else breaks down because you are just one emergency away from being bankrupt. So it's hard to enjoy what we do have because we're so worried about what's coming next. And some of us maybe feel like we're drowning relationally. We, we keep hoping for God to move in the heart of our children or in the heart of our spouse because We need something to change, but nothing seems to be changing. We keep hoping and praying for that change with that family member or that neighbor or that coworker, but we're losing hope and we're losing patience. And if God doesn't do something soon, we're worried that we're going to explode. Maybe you're drowning at work and you keep doing the right thing, but you keep getting overlooked and you seem to be underappreciated. You're tired, but you keep showing up. There's, there's fear of layoffs, but you keep showing up. You have a coworker that has it out for you and keeps spreading rumors about you, but you keep your head down and you just keep doing your job. Maybe you have an incompetent boss or you have a coworker that keeps taking advantage of you, but you just keep showing up. You're hanging on, but you're worried because you feel like you're at the end of your rope. And there's trouble with our kids' attitudes, and there's trouble with our kids' school grades, and we're, we're troubled about the future they're going to grow up in, and there's trouble with food shortages, and there's trouble with crime rates, and there's trouble with identity theft, and there's trouble with school shootings, and there's trouble with our government. And here's what we conclude. We can't afford to keep going on like this. Something has got to change, but we're worried that it's not going to. So yeah, we feel the weight of Jesus' words here when he says, there's enough trouble for today. Let's not even worry about tomorrow's uh, trouble yet. Let's just focus on today's. And guess what? Jesus would agree with that. And his answer to what must change is found and what he has just said to his audience prior to verse 34. So let's back it up to verse, let's look at verse 19. Here's where Jesus starts our sermon for today. Don't store up treasures here on earth where moths eat them and rust destroys them and where thieves break in and steal. You see, Jesus knows that the greatest temptation of his followers 
is to get distracted by the shiny things of this world. And his warning to us is that shiny things, little kingdom things, doesn't last. Earthly treasures are temporary, and we cannot protect them from rust, and we cannot protect them from thieves. Instead, and Jesus, Jesus encourages us to invest in heaven. Look at verse 20. Instead, store your treasure in heaven where moss and rust can't destroy and where thieves do not break in and still. How refreshing and relieving it is for us this morning to know that there is a place that we can store treasure that cannot lose its value and cannot be taken by thieves and cannot be taken by a bad stock market. And then Jesus says, verse 21, wherever your treasure is. You know this verse, right? Wherever your treasure is, there the desires of your heart will be also. Jesus knew that what we desire most will control us. And it will show up in the way we live our lives. Anything that we treasure above Christ, the Bible says, is adultery of the heart. And then he says in verse 22, 23, he says, your eye is like a lamp that provides light for the body. When your eye is healthy, your whole body is filled with light. In other words, when your eye is healthy, you're, you're healthy. But, verse 23, when your eye is unhealthy, your whole body is filled with darkness, meaning our, our perspective and our priorities, they get misguided, they get misdirected, and, and it gets worse at the end of verse 23. And if the light you think you have is actually darkness, how deep that darkness is. Whoa. I mean, what, what if the light we think we are walking in is actually darkness that has deceived us? Jesus seems to be saying that's a possibility here. Darkness blinds us from seeing correctly. Have you ever been in the middle of something thinking you were doing the right thing and you go on the other side of that and go, why did I do that? Because you thought you were walking in light and you were deceived by darkness. Darkness deceives us into making masters out of momentary things. Verse 24. Jesus says, no one can serve two masters. For you will hate one and you will love the other. You will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and be enslaved to Money. John says it this way in 1 John 2. Do not love the world nor the things it offers you, for when you love the world, you do not have the love of the Father in you. Because both of those things can exist together. It's either or. There is no room for two masters in our lives, no matter how hard we try to balance them. It doesn't work. Jesus says either you have the one, you embrace the one, and you despise the other, or it's the other way around. You welcome this one, and you shun this one. There is no balancing act, church. We know that. We try to, but, the, but we know it doesn't work. So how do we know if we are attempting to serve two masters? Are there any red flags? Well, Jesus says there is. Here's the red flags. Look at verse 25. That's why I tell you, do not worry about everyday life. Whether you have enough food or drink or enough clothes to wear, isn't life more than food and your body more than clothing? Verse 28. And why worry about your clothing? Verse 31. So don't 
worry about these things, saying, what will we eat? What will we drink? What will we wear? Jesus seems to be showing us that anxiety, worrying, fear is a symptom of trying to serve another master. Our conclusion from a while ago is this. Something has got to give. Something has got to change. God agrees by saying, I know the thing that needs to change the most is you. Because we are prone to worry about everything. And the command here in our text is clear. Do not worry. Got it? All right, let's pray. Let's go home, right? Because we already knew that. The conclusion is something needs to change. I can't stop worrying about this. And Jesus' conclusion is I know something needs to change. It might not be the circumstance. It might be you. And by the way, here's what I'm going to tell you. Don't worry. Stop. That's not a suggestion. It's a command. Do not worry. In fact, Jesus goes on to ask this, verse 27. Can all your worries at a single moment to your life? To which we answer with an emphatic, no. We, we, we know that. No. Wor can worry add to our lives? Are you kidding me? Worry has done nothing but subtract from our lives. Worry doesn't give us peace. Worry robs us from peace. Worry doesn't give us joy. Worry robs us of joy. None of us have ever made a New Year's resolution hoping to worry more this year. Why? Because nothing positive has ever come. Think about that. If we could just list all of the worries that every single one of us have had in this room, just kind of list them, and then we say, has anybody benefited from anything on that list? There would not be one person in here that goes, yeah, I'm better for my, I'm, I'm better for being paralyzed by fear by, that, by that, that thing right there. It has done my heart good to worry about that. So why do we do it? Well, Jesus is getting there, but look at what Jesus says next, verse 26. Look at the birds, to which we say, Jesus, I don't want to look at the birds. I'm looking at my mortgage statement, and I am worried because I don't have enough money in the bank to pay my mortgage. And Jesus goes, come on, come on, Rick, Rick, Rick. Take your eyes off the mortgage statement for a moment and just look at the birds. Here's what he goes on to say. They don't plant, they don't harvest, they don't store food in barns. In other words, they don't, they just, they just fly around and they make nests and they, they seem to sing a lot. Seems like they're just enjoying, it doesn't seem like they have a care in the world except for when you come around and scare them or you give your kid a pellet gun. Not a care in the world. <laughs> Why? For your heavenly Father, what? Feeds them. I don't, I, I don't speak bird. I'm sure there's a scientist somewhere that does or claims they do. But I don't know if there's ever been a bird wake up in the morning, if they sleep, I don't know, going, how am I going to eat today? They just wake up and go, oh, worm. And Jesus says, 
It's the heavenly father who gave him the worm. It doesn't work out so well for the worm, but it works out really well for the bird. And then don't miss this question. This is so powerful. And aren't you, look, come on, come on, just look at the birds. Man, look how your heavenly father loves them and takes care of them. Aren't you far more valuable to your father than they are? To which we, we have to ask, do we believe that? Do we really believe that we are more valuable to God than the birds? Verse 28, and why worry about your clothing? Look at the lilies of the field and how they grow. They don't work. They don't make their own clothing. Yet Solomon in all of his glory was never dressed as beautiful as these fields of lilies are. Verse 30. And if God cares so wonderfully for wildflowers that are here today and thrown into the fire tomorrow, he will certainly, what? Care for you. Do we really believe that our heavenly father cares about us? Jesus is screaming in this passage. He is screaming to us that our heavenly father can be trusted. He can be trusted with anything. And then Jesus gets to the root of the problem, the end of verse 30. Why do you have so little faith? (laughs) To which we would say, Jesus, I don't have a faith problem. I have a money problem. I don't have a faith problem. I have a, my husband and my wife isn't loving me the way they should problem. I don't have a faith problem. I have a, my coworker or my boss isn't respecting me problem. We don't think we have a faith problem. We have a money problem. We have a husband problem. We have a wife problem. We have a job problem. We have a president problem. But Jesus links our worry to a faith problem. When we worry, we are communicating that we don't believe that God values us and that he doesn't have our best interest at heart. And that is convicting. When we worry, we are telling God that he can't be trusted with our troubles. You would never say that. God, I can't, can't give this to you. This one's mine. I got to own this one. I got I to make this happen because I don't think you're big enough, I, so I'll do it. You would never say that because you don't really believe that. But in the everyday grind of life, our faith shrinks, and we stop believing that God can be trusted. Look what Jesus goes on to say in verse 32. These things dominate the thoughts of who? Unbelievers. These are the thoughts that dominate the the hearts and the minds of unbelievers. But your heavenly father already knows your needs. And come on, we don't doubt that God knows. We just doubt that he cares enough to do something on our behalf. Jesus doubles down in verse 33. You know this verse too. Seek the kingdom of God above all else and live righteously 
and he will give you everything you need. It's almost as if Jesus is challenging us here by saying, you go after God with everything you have and just watch what he does. I mean, you pursue him with every bit of passion in your heart, and you just see how God comes through for you. So if we had to have a big idea this morning, I think it's this. It's stop worrying and start seeking. Those two ideas can't be divorced from one another. We let go of one and we cling to the other. Stop worrying. Start seeking. So how do we do that? Well, Paul instructs us in Philippians chapter 4, verse 6. He says, don't worry about anything. Anything here means anything. Yeah, but what about, nope. Yeah, but right now we're really going through it, nope. But we just got the letter in the, nope. But we just got the diagnosis, nope. But my kid just turned 13, nope. But you don't know what they said, nope. You don't know how they did, nope. Don't worry about anything. Instead, I love that word, instead, because you know this verse, this is a great verse, we talk about it all the time. Instead implies that you can't just decide today, okay, that's it, God, I'm not going to worry anymore. You've got to replace that worry with something, right? Don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Now, I didn't look it up. You can look it up, but go look at the Greek word here, and I'm pretty sure that word means everything. Like, I had this thought this week of reading a book called The Stress-Free Life. I think that's the name of it. It's a very convicting book. In fact, I'm going to share just a few points from it in a moment. And from that book, I got this thought, if we really live the way that the Bible tells us to be praying without ceasing and pray about everything, we would, the public would think Christians are crazy because we would walk around all day talking to ourselves, or at least it would, their perception is we're talking to ourselves. But we'd literally be talking to God about everything. Every thought, every conversation, every issue. God, what do you think about this, man? What, what do you want me to do here? Where, what are you doing? Do you see the way she just flipped me off in traffic? I don't know, God. Do you want me to stop and talk to her? I don't know. Everything. I don't know how we're going to pay. For, God, I, I don't know how this is going to happen. I'm, I'm, what do you want to do here? What, what do you want me to do? Everything. Pray about everything. Tell God, he goes on to say, tell God what you need. Again, talk to God about everything. Live in constant fellowship with him. Be aware of his presence in every moment of your life. Stop turning your thoughts toward yourself. Instead, talk to God. Be completely honest with him. He's the one person you can be completely honest with. Stop speaking in general terms. Oh, God, would you move here? No, no, no. 
What do you need? Be specific. Be very detailed with the Lord. Be bold in your asking. Be consistent. And these are not made up things here. These are all commands from Scripture on how we are to be asking and praying to God about everything. What do you need right now in your life? What do you need? What do you need? It doesn't matter how big it is or how little it is. Tell God, what do you need? Well, I don't want to be here today. Okay, tell him that. Well, I can't really stand to look at the pastor's face today. So, all right, tell him that. Seriously. He already knows the bad thoughts you have. Just kind of, oh, God, you, you just saw that one. <laughs> what, what? Help me here. I, I need you. Why did that happen? Talk to God about everything. Tell him right now what you need. Tell him today. What, what did you wake up worrying about? Stop worrying and tell God you need it. And then he says, thank God for all he has done. Be intentional about thanking God. Every struggle we encounter, I'm going to say this. I feel like a hypocrite saying it. <laughs> it's true. I'm just not good at practicing it. Every struggle we encounter is an opportunity for God to demonstrate his faithfulness. Thank Jesus for the chance to see his power and his faithfulness. I can't tell you the last time I've done that. You kidding me? Life goes sideways, and I'm going to thank God for the opportunity to see what he's going to do with this. Nope. That's not what I naturally lean towards. Why me? How am I going to fix this? I don't have enough money to do this. How am I going to do that? Are you kidding me? I, I just got ahead at work and they said this about me again. How am I? Can you imagine? Somebody comes to work, to you at work tomorrow and goes, did you hear what Tyler said about you again? <sighs> you do What? God, how in the world today are you going to take those lies and bring yourself glory through it? <laughs> nope. That's not, oh yeah, well let me tell you what I heard about Tyler. I want to say this again because it's so important. Be intentional about thanking God because every struggle we encounter is an opportunity for God to demonstrate his faithfulness. Do you realize every testimony that leads us to worship Jesus was at one time a trouble that we were tempted to worry about. You get in this microphone and you say, I once was addicted to, I think of Jim's testimony again, because it's such a powerful testimony of how God delivered him from the addiction of drugs. In the moment of the addiction, nobody around him is going, oh God, would you, would you somehow use this to demonstrate your faithfulness. Years later, Jim stands in this mic and goes, I was, God delivered, I am. And we go, oh, God's faithful. And that's true of your trouble right now that you're standing in the midst of. It's, it's, it's a testimony. 
It might not be today. It might not be tomorrow. It might not be next month. It might not be in the next decade. But you stay faithful to God, and God will be faithful to you. He can be trusted. So even in the midst of the trouble, thank God for the opportunity for him to demonstrate his faithfulness because a testimony is coming through your trouble. Wow. Worry and gratitude cannot abide in the same heart at the same time. The reason why I think Paul says pray about everything, thank God for everything that he's done is because he knows the moment we stop talking to God and the moment we stop thanking God, we're leaving room in our lives for worry to creep back in. Worry and worship cannot abide in the same heart. Anxiety is inconsistent with God's character. Worry is inconsistent with God's character. When we worry, we are misrepresenting God to others. Have you ever thought of that? I haven't. When I'm freaking out because there's a new noise coming through my car. <laughs> I mean, I'm having a meltdown. Not something else. How in the which literally happened to us last Sunday. We're going down to Fairtown, all of a sudden my engine sounds like it's going to blow up. I'm like, well, we're just going to drive until it blows up, I guess. Because my motto is, if you drive it long enough, the light goes off. I'm just kidding. But long story short, it quit making the sound like a day later. So I'm like, all right, I'm going to keep And the engine light came on for like 15 minutes and went off. I'm like, all right, glory to God. He demonstrated his faithfulness. Uh, we'll see. Hey, let me, give you, let me give you a gold nugget. This comes from this book this week that I'm kind of working through in my own heart. But I think these, here's three things that we've got to stay anchored to as, as, as Christians if we're going to learn to trust God instead of worrying. Can I give you these things? Three, three things we've got to stay anchored to, anchored to. God is love. So he wants what's best for us. We have to believe that. We will never, we will never learn to trust God until we believe that we serve a God that is love and he wants what's best for us. Number two, God is wise. So he knows what's best for us. We'll never trust God until we believe that he is the source of wisdom and he knows what's best for us. Number three, God is all-powerful, so he will do what's best for us. God loves us, so he wants what's best for us. God is wise, so he knows what's best for us. And God is all-powerful, so he will do what's best for us. So Jesus says in verse 34, don't worry about tomorrow. For tomorrow will bring its own worries. Today's trouble is enough for today. Now, this is not Jesus telling us it's okay to worry about today. It's not what he's saying here. He's, he's not saying we can worry about today instead of tomorrow. This is a verse reminding us it's one step at a time. It's one day at a time trusting in the one who loves us and wants what's best for us. The one who knows what is best for us and the one who has the power to do it. For our God is bigger, better, stronger, 
and greater than any trouble that we will face. God can be trusted. So, as Peter says, I want to repeat after Peter, give all of your worries and give all of your cares to God for he cares about you. Church, stop worrying. Start seeking. It's the only way. It's the only way we can be released from the worries of this broken kingdom is to keep our eyes focused and pursue with all of our hearts God's kingdom. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we believe, but we need you to help our unbelief. When we leave here today, would you remind us through the birds? Would you remind us through the lilies of our value? Far outweighs the value of those things. Would, Would you remind us that if you're faithful to the little things, you'll be faithful to the men and women that you've created in your own image? God, we believe, but will you help our unbelief this morning that, that you, you love us and you want what's best for us? You desire that? God, that you're all wise and you know what's best for us. And what, what you know and what we want is not always the same thing, but God, would you, would you remind us this morning that you have the power. You have the power to do it. You have the power to care for us beyond anything we can imagine. So, Would you give us the ability to stop worrying and start seeking you through praying about everything? May we wake up in the morning and we say, hello, Father, and may that conversation not end until we take our last breath before we fall asleep. Every detail, may we begin to invite you into so that we can see your faithfulness and experience your power. In Jesus' name that we pray, amen. Amen.